And God was faithful here. And God was faithful here. I hope that's what that song evoked in you because he is a faithful God. Um, when was the last time that you sensed God was calling you to take a step? And that step was a bit scary because if it didn't turn out quite right, you couldn't erase it. it there were going to be consequences. And yet, you sense that the Lord is, is saying, yeah, take this step. Do it. Move forward by faith in me. I kind of think back to my second year of marriage with Carrie. And uh, God had, had run some interesting circumstances through our lives. Uh, I was thrust into a place where I was an interim worship pastor for a year and a half, and then the church released me, and I was driving a school bus for the rest of the year looking for a ministry position during the school year. And then God had opened an opportunity for us to go to California and work at a, a camp, a high school camp called Ponderosa Lodge in uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains, Christian high school camp. And we had our first baby there, 10-week-old Bailey Lynn Brand. And uh, I'm still looking for a position. And if you know anything about camp ministry, you don't make a lot with camp ministry. But, you know, they, they uh, feed you and they give you housing. And so that's all good. Um, but we went to a church there in, in Santa Cruz during Sunday. And, you know, the truth of the matter is the, the income faucet had shut off quite a bit. Uh, we, at that moment, I would say we were po, P-O-O. We couldn't afford an R, you know. <laughs> and, you know, uh, things are, are going pretty well. But, you know, we're watching our dollars. And we've got $60 in cash and carries car carrying the cash. And so we're in church. And the Lord speaks to her. And the Lord says, okay, give it all. Give the 60 bucks. And so she does, she, and she doesn't tell me. And that's okay. If the Lord is working in my wife's heart and life, you know, mind, I want her to respond in faith. But later on that week, you know, I'm going, hey, we need to pick up some diapers. Can I have some of that money? I gave it all. Oh. Okay. And then a couple days later, we get a check in the mail that we didn't expect from the state of Illinois for a renter's rebate for like 600 bucks. Now, the church we went to was rather large. Did they need our 60 bucks? Probably not. The reason that God worked in my, my wife's heart I think that way was not necessarily for the sake of the church, although you know, we had an opportunity to invest in eternity. He did it for us. Because they're saying, Nathan and Carrie, there are going to be other times where I'm going to be calling you to step forward and you don't know exactly how I'm going to meet you, how I'm going to take care of you, how I'm going to provide for you, how I'm going to be faithful to you. But I'm going to show you that.
And that's what we're going to see today as we look back into the story of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack it open to chapter 2. Nehemiah is after Ezra. goes 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. So that's where we're at. And if you were with us last week, we started out the book. Nehemiah is in a citadel called Susa, which is in, I think, modern-day Iraq, I believe. And uh, he asked for a report. What's going on with the, the people who had returned from exile in Jerusalem? And his brother Hanani gives him this report. The walls are pulled down. The gates are burned up, and the people are in much distress. And that puts Nehemiah in distress. He's a Jew. He's one of God's people. And he's hundreds of miles away from the town of his forefathers. And it is in disgrace. It is in um, distress. They're unprotected. And so Nehemiah earnestly seeks the Lord. Praying to a God who hears His people. Praying to a God who keeps His covenant. Praying to a God who redeems His people. And His starting place is the Lord God. But now He's got to take the next step. Because as the Lord moves, the Lord's going to call Nehemiah to move also. He stirred him up. Now he's going to call him to move forward by faith, to action, trusting that he's going to accomplish what he has put in his heart, what he had called him to do. And folks, that's true of us as well. So before I dive into God's word in Nehemiah chapter 2, let me pray for us, and then we will we'll dive in and see what God has for us. So Lord, we're so grateful, as we've just sung, you are faithful. You are faithful, and your faithfulness has been shown to us ultimately in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you sent to redeem us, to make a way, to give us life that we don't have in ourselves, to give us life everlasting, and then to send your Holy Spirit to live in our hearts and our lives. And so we are grateful. So now, Holy Spirit, stir up the sword of your Spirit in our lives. Let it do its surgical work if we need to repent give us grace to do that if we need to step forward by faith give us grace to do that but let us respond and if there's somebody who's yet to know you lord i pray you'd be opening his or her heart to respond to you and your good word and your gospel and lord jesus it's in your name i pray these things amen so at the very end of chapter one of nehemiah we get ezra's I mean, Nehemiah's prayer. He says, Give your servant success success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And this man just happens to be the emperor of the Persian Empire, Artaxerxes. And then he says, I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah has access to the king, the most powerful man living on earth at the time, at least in the Western world. Now, he makes this prayer, it says, according to 
chapter 1, verse 1, in the month of Kislev. And that's on the Jewish calendar, is in the season of November and, and December. So we will be in Kislev very soon. But when we get to chapter 2, we discover it's the month of Nisan, which is four months later, March and April. And it's time. It's time to, by faith, ask permission. By faith, ask permission. Verses 1 and 2. In the month of Nisan, on the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why did your face look so sad when you're not ill at all? This can be nothing but the sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Now, you know, as we read this, I ask, okay, is, is this Nehemiah's plan? I'm going to appear sad and, you know, and the, have the king ask me about this? I, I don't think it is. But Nehemiah's been thinking about this for four months. He's been depressed about this. He's discouraged about this. And his face betrays his heart. And the king notices. And uh, he asks him about it. And his heart's response is, is fear, okay? First of all, it's just bad form when you're the butler of the king to have a, a sad face. You know, you just didn't do that in the Persian, the Persian uh, court. You know, you don't share your problems with the king. That's your problem. Uh, keep it to yourself. Do your job. Keep on a happy face. That could get you killed. Bad manners in the, in the court. And also what he had in mind was not a small request. You know, you can't just tell the king, hey, you know, Artie, I'm, I'm thinking about moving on. I, I've got this gig in Jerusalem and I'd like to, you know, go. <laughs> He's the king. You're at his service. You don't go anywhere without his permission. But second of all, understand that the problem was caused by Artaxerxes himself. He was the one who shut down construction in Jerusalem. You can read about that in Ezra chapter 4 verse 21 because the, the people said, hey, you know, this city has a reputation of, of rebellion. They're building up the walls again. You should shut it down. And so he does. It's his policy. And he says, I don't want it to start, the building to start until I give permission. Ezra chapter 4, verse 21. But now Nehemiah had been praying about this for, for four months now. And so the door is open, and so he decides he's going to share his heart. Maybe this is how God is going to work. Verse 3. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Okay. Door seems to be open. I'm going to step through it. I'm going to trust God and move forward. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. It must have been, here we go, God. Because that's probably all about he had time for. And I answered the king, 
If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. And so I set a time. Wow. I just asked. And he said, okay. I I gave him a timeline. And he said, all right. Now, you know, the king wants him to come back. But realize the release is going to be for probably a few years. It takes four months just to get there. Okay, and then he's got to he's got to build a, a city walls back up again, so it's gonna it's gonna be a big task. It's gonna take some time, but he's given permission. Here's another interesting note here, and it says the queen was seated next to him. I think sometimes women have a uh, civilizing or a benevolent impact on on their husbands sometimes, and so I think that helped. If nothing else, it just showed that he had good rapport with the royal couple. They liked him. But also notice that Nehemiah is not just flying by the seat of his pants. He's been thinking about this. He's been planning it. He even has a timeline in place. He had thought things out. And now that he has permission, he's going to ask for the other things that he's he's going to need. And he does need them. So look at verse 7. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates that, I will, that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Again, remember that uh, we talked about last week, Artaxerxes, in the beginning of his, of his reign, there were a lot of rebellions that rose up in his, his empire. So you don't show up as the cupbearer of the king in some other place in the empire without some sort of letter saying, yeah, this guy has permission to be here. He's been released by the king to do this. But also Nehemiah anticipates that there's going to be some pushback by some of the the outside forces when they discover he's coming back to build up the wall in Jerusalem. But he has royal permission. He's acquired that permission. And all of his needs are not just political. Some of them are practical and material. Look at verse 8. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, or the royal forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadels by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Folks, there is no Home Depot. There is no Menards. If you wanted lumber, you had to get it from the royal, the royal forest. And you had to have permission from the king. This is a major rebuilding process, right? There's a fortress that needs to be rebuilt. Be rebuilt. There are walls that need to be reinforced. And by the way, he's got to build his own house there. There's no place for him as far as he knows. It's controlled by the crown. And now he has, he asked for the materials to do it. And in doing so, it's really a confirmation that God is at work. 
Look at the very end of verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, we remember that phrase from Ezra chapter 7, the king granted my request. Again, my question is, has God put on your heart something he's calling you to move forward with, to step into? And maybe there's somebody you need to talk to about that. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a leader. Maybe it's a city official. But God has put that on your heart. And I, I'd encourage you to be like Ezra. Start out with prayer. Say, Lord, I, I need to know that you're behind this. I need to know that, that I'm moving with your will. I don't want this to just be my idea. But then be ready. Be ready to move forward and to take the opportunity that God is going to give you to talk to that gatekeeper, if you will. Have a plan. And be ready when the, when the door gets opened. I don't know if you remember last year, in November, we discovered that Mayo Clinic was not going to allow us to carol uh, to people in their rooms during Christmas Eve. And that has been a huge, huge ministry and tradition here at Berean ever since I've been here, even before I even came here. And it is wonderful. It's beautiful. But Mayo was kind of shutting things down. And, and, and so um, I was really discouraged about that. And I went to a day of prayer and I was talking with Wendell Amstutz. And I said, hey, you know, Wendell, I'm really bummed about this. He says, you know, um, my sister, Gwen, he has, his wife's name is Gwen and his, his sister's name is Gwen. That's very confusing, but they're two different people. But she's the head of, of surgery at Mayo Clinic. Why don't I give you her email and, and her uh, phone number and call her and see, see what happens. And so I wrote out my appeal and it wasn't exactly what we had before. We were able to stroll the hallways and, and carol in front of people's um, rooms. But we were able to, after the service, the Christmas Eve service, go down to Mayo and in two different places, in the Baldwin building and I believe in uh, St. Francis building, I can't remember, we were able to have two groups sing carols and then people could come down who were stuck in the hospital on Christmas Eve and nobody wants to be in the hospital on Christmas Eve. And have us sing carols to them. Remind them of a God who has not forgotten them. And it was a beautiful thing. But you know, if I had just taken the letter and said, Oh, rats, we're shut off. No, I said, Lord, no, I'm not accepting this. There's got to be some other way. And I have no idea what's going to happen this year. We'll probably hear no, but I'm going to ask again. Okay, And let me tell you one other thing as a pastor here at Breen Community Church. We have some fantastically gifted people and God has put in your heart some opportunities to act, to move, and we would love to get behind you. And if I'm the gatekeeper for that, come and talk to me. But here's, I'm going to give you a couple things I'm going to tell you. Number one, don't ask me to do it. 
I've already got enough things on my plate. You may say, I love you, Pastor Nathan, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Please don't bring that to me, okay? But number two, come with a plan. Come with a plan. Come thinking, this is what I'd like to like it to look like. And, and we can adjust that along the way. But I've got plenty of people telling me what I should do, okay? I don't want to have another voice in my ear and you feel like you're dissatisfied with me. But if God is moving in you to move with something, hey, I'm going to give you the ball, let you run with it, and give you whatever kind of support we can here at Berean. So if I'm that gatekeeper, please come and talk to me. I want to I want to launch you forward. As Artaxerxes was able to launch forward Nehemiah. So we had permission now. It's time to take the next step. It was time to go. He had to leave Persia. So by faith he had to change location. Pick it up at verse 9. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem. This is a major change for Nehemiah. Realize that Nehemiah did not grow up in Judah or Jerusalem. He'd never been there. He grew up in Persia. He was used to court life. Okay? So this is going to be a major change. And he was accustomed to the royal court life. The place he was going was in despair, was in chaos. And he was going to have to construct his own house. It's not going to be a place of convenience. You know, We've had opportunities to send teams to, to Haiti and to Cuba. But one of the things that happens, I think, for those teams is they realize that, you know what, there's no Walmart down the street for me to get what I want right away. It's not available. It's, there's an adjustment. We, it's a culture shock for some of us who are used to having things on time. Amazon, two-day delivery, Right? It's not like that. This is what, what he was moving into. But God goes ahead of him. And one of the things he does is, you know, he has to, he has to go through uh, some of these trans-Euphrates governors, different provinces there. And he has to introduce himself, say, here's my letters from the king. And, you know, they kind of say, state his business. And we, we meet Tobiah and, and uh, Sembalit, and we're going to see them a little bit lower. Actually, we'll see them all throughout this whole story. But we're going to see that they're not happy for what Nehemiah has come to do when rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the gates. But what's interesting also, you know, he, he has the letter, but the king sends army officers and a cavalry with him. He almost has like this mini army with him. See, the king thought enough of Nehemiah and says, you know, I'm not going to let him just disappear. I'm going to make sure that he's safe. He's got a group of men around him who are going to protect him. 
so it's, it's just interesting to me that, you know, the king sends the security force with him. But it was the hand of the Lord there to protect him. It's one thing for, for Nehemiah to hand Simbala and, and Tobiah the letters. It's one, but it's another thing to see that he's got a little security force behind him. He's got a little muscle. And that's because the Lord worked on the heart of King Artaxerxes. See, God is in the details. It was July 31st, 2010. The Brand family packed up from North Platte, Nebraska. A moving van, a car in tow behind it, and a pickup truck that had homemade sidewalls on the, on the bed. We looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. Driving across the nation and winding up in Rochester, Minnesota because God had called us to serve here. We didn't know where we were going to stay. We had no idea. We were, we were uh, contacting Jess Kelm, uh, a, a realtor, a former Berean here, but nothing had really panned out. You know, that's kind of an unnerving thing, but we knew that God had called us. And so we get here and we park the, we park the big truck down here, get set up in a, in a, a hotel for a day, and, and Carrie's contacting Jess and she says, oh, by the way, there's this rental house that just came on the market. It, it hasn't been cleaned. The people just moved out. But, you know, you can have it if you want it. It'll, it's got a, you know, three-room bedroom, three-house bedroom, two-bath. And so the next day, the Brand family and the Berean family went and cleaned a house on August 1st, 2010. John Young cut my grass. And we moved into 4633 Ruby Lane, which we've rented for 10 years and now just recently bought, which is another story in itself. But the point is this, is that God was in the details. He went before us to take care of us, to give us a place. And by the way, it's been a great neighborhood for us to be in. And it's been a gift from God. But God is in the details when he calls you forward. And verse 11 says, and he, I went to Jerusalem. The Lord brought him safely. Here's the point of what I'm trying to drive at. When you're following the Lord's call, he may call you to leave your place of comfort, your home, your neighborhood, your church, and go to a place that's different. And you're going to have to come to grips with that. They may be across the state, across the nation, across the world. And you may have to come to terms with, you know what? I can't come home and visit the family every weekend anymore. Can't do that anymore. I think of our sister Emily. You know what? She's, when she's overseas, she's there for a prolonged period. And she can't just come home anytime she wants. She doesn't have the modern conveniences that we have here in, 
in America. But if God is calling you, you need to go. And it may be challenging. You may have to learn a whole new language, a whole new system, what have you. And here's what I want to say to parents. Parents, if your children sense that God is calling them, release them. Release them to follow the Lord. Don't make them have this conflict between honoring you and following the Lord. Release them to serve Him. And they will be blessed and they will be a blessing to you more than feeling like they're in conflict with that. He'll go before you. It may not be easy, but he will make a way. So Nehemiah has gone. He's on mission. He has a job to do, but he can't do it alone. He can't do it alone. So by faith, he needs to call others to action. At the end of verse 11, it says, and after staying there three days, I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone that my God, what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. So, first of all, he'd been riding across the Mesopotamian crest. It took three, four months for him to get there. I don't know, maybe because they were on horseback and went quicker. But he needed three days to recover. I've been gone all week from Monday to Thursday down in Phoenix. It was wonderful. I'll tell you, I felt like I needed a vacation from a vacation after I got back, though. So he needed a little time to recover. But here's what else I want, I want you to note. That he had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Realize he's new in town. He doesn't know the people there, even though he may be related to them by faith and by blood. He didn't know what, who he could trust. And he knows there's this guy Sandblad out there, and he might have spies in town. He's not sure what he's going to do about that. But he needs to get a personal survey of the project also. So, in the middle of the night, he takes a few men and one mount, whether it's a donkey or a horse, and he goes to check things out. And here's where we pick things up in verse 13. By night I went through the valley gate through the jackal, toward the jackal or dragon well, and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up by the valley, by, excuse me, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. So I don't know about you, but when I read that, I go, okay, what does that look like? It's not like saying, oh, yeah, go to, you know, Panera North or, you know, West Circle Drive. So here's, here's what it's looking like, okay? This is, this is west, this is east, north, south. He comes out this, this area. He walks down here, and there's a place called the Dragon, the dragon Pool or the um, 
jackal well, what have you. We think that that might be this pool Siloam. And then he makes his way down towards the dung gate. And on this side, this is called the Valley of Hanoam. This is where things get taken out, trash gets thrown out, and things get burned up. It's the rubbish area, okay? This is where the, this is the landfill, the trash area. And so he goes down here, and there's, he's working his way up towards the fountain gate, right? And now on, you're on the east side of, of, the, of the wall of the city, and this is all sloped down this way. This is the, the Kidron Valley, okay? This wall has been torn down, and basically all the rubble is lying on the, on the hill. You can't ride your horse. You can't ride your donkey through that. He has to get off and make his way up north here. And we don't know how far north he went, but then he decided to come back and enter back through the valley gate. So that's what's going on in his little recon, his little recon um, uh, mission, if you will. I'd like to thank Ralph Wilson who put that together. I, I have to tell you that I looked at map upon map upon map. None of them were the same. <laughs> they were all kind of in that sort of that shape, but they were all a little bit different. You have to know that all that is covered up by what Herod had built and then by what other um, nations had built upon that. So it's really hard to tell where exactly things were. But here's the thing. Just keep that map up there. Thanks, Kara. Uh, over here to the west, there was an expansion during the year of uh, the years of Hezekiah. Okay, and basically Nehemiah is not looking to re- to restore that. He's looking to restore things to the way things were during the reign of David and and Solomon. That's what he thinks he can do to secure the walls, to secure the gates, and this is what he's he's moving towards. But after this late night assessment of what this project is going to look like, it's time to let others know about his vision. So pick it up at verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be a disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Nehemiah starts by pointing out the obvious. This place is a mess. Our walls are down. The gates are burned. And I'm sure the people are going, okay, genius, thanks. Yeah, it's not that we don't know this. We're living in it every day. But notice he says this. He said, you see the trouble we are in. Nehemiah owns this himself. He doesn't come as a consultant and say, you guys have problems. No, say, we have a problem. We're in disgrace. We are exposed. We need to rebuild this wall. And he's bringing the encouragement and the leadership to rebuild. 
that they could be out of disgrace and be out of distress. And then he brings new information. He tells them about the gracious hand of God upon him as he gained permission from the king. Permission to rebuild, permission to present letters, permission to acquire supplies. The king is behind this. Remember the king shut this down and now he's behind this. This is new information. A new door has opened. God is in this, you guys. And the response is, yeah, let's start rebuilding. And it says, so they began this good work. So they began this good work. And realize it's going to be work. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be overwhelming at times. There's a point in this story where the people get overwhelmed by the rubble. It will cost them something. Finances. Their time in the field. There are some who are going into poverty because they're neglecting taking care of their fields. It's going to cost them their energy. It's going to be all hands on deck because that's what it requires. All hands on deck. Everybody needs to be involved. And there are threats from the outside. But they're willing to enter into this good work because it's God's work. They're willing to enter into this good work because it's God's worth and it's worth spending yourself on. You know, when I first started this series through Ezra and Nehemiah, I asked the question, who are you? Or whose are you? Are you holy to the Lord? And I don't mean... You know, you don't swear to or go with girls that do. I mean, are you wholly His? Are you His child? Are you available to Him? Are you available for whatever He asks you? Are you His servant? Or are you just following God because you're hoping He's going to bless you along the way? No, are you His servant? Are you willing to be spent for His kingdom? For His cause? For us, that's helping people pursue God, preparing people, and proclaiming Christ. And to do it even in a pandemic, we're not shutting down. We're not going to stop doing these things. We're going to keep moving forward by faith. And here's what I want to tell you as your pastor. When I or the elders call you forward to enter into something, to do something for His kingdom, to give of yourselves, realize it is going to cost you something of your time, your treasure, your talents. It won't be easy all the time. It won't always be convenient. It won't always be comfortable. And it's going to require effort Maybe your best effort. And it may not be even in your wheelhouse what I'm asking you to do. You know, we're going to get next week and we're going to see the the wall's going to get built. You know who's going to build it? Gold workers, perfumers, priests. They're not construction guys, but they're all doing it. 
And it's men and women. There's a priest with his daughters would redo that. My house already knows that. My, wife, my children already know how to use power tools because my wife does. But it might not be in your wheelhouse. But it's kingdom work and it's his work and that's why it's good work. And it's, you're doing it because you're his. And there's eternal reward for it. So, the work starts. And what follows is not behind. That is an attack or opposition from an enemy. Starting in the hearts of men. Look at verse 19. This is by faith, standing up to opposition. But when Sanballat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What are you doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Did you notice the, expand, the opposition expanded from two to three? We got, we got uh, Sanballat, who's a Hornite, and I was asking the question, what is a Hornite? I had no idea. And I was reading this week in my own Bible reading, in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 3, there's a, there's a town in Moab called Horneum. So, he comes from Horneum. This man is a Moabite. Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshem the Arab. He's actually listed in other sources as the king of Kedar. These were, these were nomads who lived in tents. But they were enemies of the people of, of God and they, know, they were afraid because they would no longer have unfettered access to attack and maraud the Jews in Jerusalem. And so what are their tactics? Number one, mock and ridicule. <laughs> what are you doing? You think you're going to be able to restore that wall? <laughs> It'll never work. You're not worthy. It's going to fail. So, mock and ridicule. Number two is allegation or accusation. You're rebelling. You're traitors. You want to rebel against the king. That's what you want to do. I know it. That's what your motive is. Let me ask you a question. Especially those who've been following Jesus for a while. What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like a spiritual enemy named Satan? And the word Satan means adversary. He's called the accuser of the brethren in the scripture. The father of lies. What? It's not feasible? Yeah, but we're the people of God. We're called to do this. And this is not treason. We're working for the king. Here's where I see the parallels. Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you're trying to do the Lord's work, opposition is going to come. And you're going to experience maybe some ridicule and mocking. Or some accusations. Let's just see how the people of God responded. Or how Nehemiah responded. Verse 20, and I answered them, the God of heaven will give us success. 
You know what I find interesting? He doesn't even say, hey, you saw the letters. See, we have permission from the king. Nehemiah is so far past that. He says, no, you don't understand. The God of heaven has called us to do that. He's going to give us success. He's with us and he's for us. And we, his servants, will start rebuilding. And because he's with us, we're going to get to work. We're going to move into action and you can't stop us. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim, historic right, any claim or historic right to it. You don't get to have any say about what happens here anymore. You are cut off. You have no claim to this city. You are not part of God's people. And no matter what you claim or accuse us of, it's not going to make a difference. Again, we who follow Christ, the adversary, he is going to bring these attacks. Opposition will come. The scripture says that our, the de- our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. And it's going to con- consist of accusations and lies. And you know what you fight that with? The truth. You fight it with the truth. So when he says, man, you're blowing it. You fall way short of God's word. Look, man, look, look what you did. Look how, look how far short you fell. You don't measure up. Those of us in Christ say, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As Romans 8.1 says. When he brings the accusation, you're not talented enough. You're not good enough. You're worthless, in fact, compared to everyone else. God's word tells us in Ephesians Chapter 2.10, no, you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. God is at work in you. And he made these things prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. And when he says, you're stuck and you can never change, you're set in your ways, we know that God tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When he says, you've gone too far, you've blown it, we know 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness because he paid the price on the cross. And when he says you're on your own, (laughs) you're abandoned, we know that he says he will never leave us nor forsake us out of Hebrews 13.5. And when he says, you can't do this, it's out of your talent, out of your wheelhouse, out of your bandwidth. Philippians 3.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I anchor myself in the truth against his accusations and against his ridicule. And folks, the Christian life is a call. It's a call to faith. First of all, trusting the Lord and what He's done in sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That He paid your price on the cross. And then He rose from the dead and He gives you life you don't have in yourself. And He can do immeasurably more 
than you can ask or imagine. That's the starting place, right? That's the starting place. But you are his workmanship. You have, God wants to use you. And he's calling things for you to do that only you can do. He called Nehemiah to do this because he was the person that he put in place to start this. And by faith, he's calling you to step forward and follow him. So be ready. Be ready to look for that opportunity to ask permission to that gatekeeper that can give you an opportunity to move forward. Be ready. Don't be so stuck where you're at right now because God may want to move you. And that may not be what you want to do, but he may want to move you. And be ready to call others to action because you can't do it yourself. Or be ready to be called to action by somebody else. Said, hey, let's do this. Let's rebuild this wall. Good work, because it's God's work. And be ready, because once you start moving in that direction, you're going to face opposition. But be ready to stand and take your stand, being anchored in the truth of your identity in Christ. The truth of who He is and who He's made you. Again, my question today is, how is the Lord calling you to move forward by faith? Are you ready? Let me pray Then, Bobby and the worship team, you come close us. Lord, again, we are challenged by this word. We thank you for how you've been faithful to your, your people in the past. And we know that you'll be faithful to us in the future, especially in your son, the Lord Jesus. So whatever you're calling us to do, would you give us the grace to say yes to you? Because it is a privilege to be yours and to have you as our Savior, Lord Jesus. And you, Heavenly Father, as our good Heavenly Father. And Holy Spirit, as you as Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us to walk and step with you as we head into this new week as we trust you to go before us. So in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.